This is Magic 590's Talk of the Town. Today we'll talk about jobs, finding jobs, and finding candidates for job openings. Our program is heard on Magic 590 plus 100.5 and 1410 and 96.9 in the North Country. Our guest is Miriam Duchesne, managing partner of Alant Workforce Solutions of Albany. Since launching her firm in 2006, Miriam Duchesne has worked with more than 300 companies across the Capital Region to help them attract, acquire, engage, and retain top talent. She's also worked with thousands of candidates to help them find new career opportunities. Her firm, Alant, has been selected for the past three consecutive years for the Forbes list of America's best recruiting firms. I get the impression, uh, Miriam, that today it's easier to get a job than it is on the other side, being the employer uh, filling a job opening. Is that so? For the most part, I would say yes. Um, you know, it's interesting. If you talk to job seekers, they might not agree with that completely. But if you talk to employers, they will say that 100%, it's much more difficult to find great employees for their for their roles. And I think that just has to come down to, you know, there's a lot more demand than there is supply. So employers are still hiring at, you know, a pretty rapid pace here in the capital region. And um, it's, it's definitely hard to keep up with and try to find the great talent because a lot of the great talent that um, employers may want to hire are already working. So employers have to work really hard to try to make themselves top of mind or get the word out that they're a good company to work for and that they are hiring for their organization. Mm. Can job seekers advance their careers more easily today because of the tight job market? Well, they certainly have a lot more leverage and a lot more negotiation power. So um, in, if, if a company really wants a candidate and the candidate can sense that and realize that they're a hot commodity, then the answer is yes, because they can use that to their advantage. Not only can they use it to their advantage if they want to actually leave the company they're at right now, but what we're seeing is a lot of um, people are dipping their toe in the water, so to speak, and um, using another job offer from a competing company to leverage their current um, package with their existing employer. And so it's putting employers in, a, uh, in the hot seat a lot more frequently to um, either negotiate a lot more or um, be faced with losing their employees to another organization. In, in terms of uh, putting them together, the job seeker and the, and the company, a, a lot of times you deal, I maybe learned a new phrase here, with a, a passive candidate for a new job. What do you mean by that phrase, a passive candidate? So pretty much anyone that's working in the job market, so regardless of where they're working and what they're doing, if they're working, we consider them a passive candidate. So that's somebody who's, who's working who may not be actively looking for a new job. So say they, they don't have their resume online or they're not looking at job postings every day. But as recruiters, our job is to go find people that meet profiles that our clients are looking for, other employers, and try to entice them to talk to us and consider making a job move. So that's why they're passive. So they're, they're not really out there looking for a new job. But um, we have to try to create a message that will make them at least interested in talking to us and potentially considering a job opportunity. So pretty much anyone who's working in mm -hmm. my world, I consider a passive candidate. Mm -hmm. From uh, w your business, 
how does it work? Uh, who pays for your services and the services of firms like Alant? That's a great question, and it's actually really important to understand how it works. So um, employers, companies in the region that need to hire people for their organization are the only entities that can pay us. So um, any, anyone that's looking for a job or who happens to come to my organization and work with one of my recruiters, that service is completely free to them. Actually, in fact, in New York State, it's illegal to charge a job seeker for job placement um, services. So, um, you know, your pay can't be affected. So someone who's looking for a job, their pay would never be affected. We'd never take a cut of their salary in any way, shape, or form, regardless if it's a direct hire placement or a contract placement. The only people who can pay us are the employers who actually ask us and engage us to do recruitment on their behalf. Mm. What, uh, since the employers are paying the bill, what do you- what do you do for them, or what services do you provide the employer? Sure. That's a great question, and that's important, too, because sometimes that can be frustrating for a candidate or a job seeker who's looking for a new role. We ultimately have to be accountable to the person who's paying the bill. So the first thing that's um, important for people to understand is when an employer comes to me and says, I want A, B, C, D, E, F, G from a candidate. So I want a certain education level and I want a certain level of experience and I want a certain level of industry knowledge, et cetera. We have to find that. So the first thing is, is making sure that we're finding candidates that have all of that. In addition to that, we, um, you know, we post jobs, we search databases, and then we do a thorough pre, a thorough interview of that candidate before an employer sees it. So basically, when an employer comes to us and asks us to fill or help them fill a job, we take every piece of the recruiting um, process as our responsibility. So that's finding the candidates, however means we use, whether it's through job posting, passive hunting of candidates, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever that might be. It's interviewing them, like giving a, an actual full interview, full screening. We lay eyes on every single person that we would refer to an employer for consideration of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a complete reference check. We do a complete criminal background check. We do skills testing. And we're the advocate on the employer's behalf through every piece of the puzzle. So when we send a candidate for consideration to a client, that client knows, that employer knows that all of the boxes have been checked, everything has been done, so that when they get that candidate, they know they just have to worry about, is this person the right fit for my culture and my organization? Miriam Duchesne, our guest, managing partner of Alant Workforce Solutions in Albany, what mistakes do employers make uh, in, uh, in before they turn to you? I mean, I presume they turn to you and, and companies like that because they're they're having difficulty uh, finding employees. Well, sometimes um, employers actually don't understand how cost effective it actually is to work with a firm like ours. Um, we have a lot of safeguards in place to make sure that the services that we're providing in the you know prospective candidates are really good candidates. And then once an employer actually hires a person, um, we also back that up with a guarantee to make sure that, um, you know, we did everything that we said we did, that candidate is everything they said they were, and it's going to be a good fit for the organization. So sometimes what happens is employers will invest a lot of money in, you know, working with different job boards, posting their job, or they might, yeah, I mean, there actually is people that still use the newspaper to post their positions and wait for people to apply to it. And so unfortunately, in those cases, they're kind of spending a lot of money, but not getting really great results. 
And in our world, if you work with a recruiter, um, we're taking all of that off your plate. We're taking all of the, the hours that it takes to um, screen resumes in or out for your position. We're taking all of that time to really vet a candidate to its you know fullest before you even have to worry about considering that candidate for your job. So we're taking hours of time, which is money, off of their plate. We're also offering a guarantee so when they spend the money with our firm, we back it up making sure that that person is going to be a good fit for their organization. So they're really not risking their investment because we're going to make sure it's a good fit and a good placement. If you put a job board posting up or if you put something in the newspaper or whatever it might be, there's no guarantee, A, you're even going to get candidates, and B, you'll even be able to make a hire that's going to stick. So at least when you're investing your money in a recruiting firm and working with a recruiting firm, you have at least more of a, a sense of um, well-being, understanding that your money isn't just going to waste and so you're not just spending hundreds, perhaps thousands of dollars on basically futile efforts not to find the right people for your organization. The other thing is is that you know employers, unfortunately, they don't do a great job of marketing their company or writing really good, attractive job postings that are really going to share with somebody who might be interested or it might be actively looking for a new role to consider their organization. I find that the, the, the biggest thing that employers make a mistake on is they just don't know how to create a really good recruiting and branding message to at least pique the interest of somebody to take a look at their organization. Mm. What do employers do that, that hurts their ability to keep good employees You know, after the hire is made? Yeah. So the first thing I think is what's important is that employers should be making sure that their retention and engagement of their employees is always their number one priority. It's a whole heck of a lot cheaper to retain your current employees than it is to recruit new employees. So, um, you know, I don't want to put myself out of a job, but if employers did a better job of retaining employees, they probably wouldn't be on the hunt so frequently for new employees. Some of the things that they can do um, are really very simple and kind of common sense. Um, treat people with respect. If you can allow flexibility in your workplace, you know, perhaps not everybody has to start at 8 o'clock on the dot and leave at, you know, 5 o'clock on the dot. If you can offer a little bit of um, transparency into your organization so employees actually understand why they're there and what they're working for. The biggest thing is employees need to feel that they're part of something that their work is actually um, meaningful and that it's, you know, going towards whatever that end goal is for that company, product, service, whatever it might be. And so, you know, everybody always talks about benefits and competitive salaries, which obviously you need to have, but um, you don't need to go crazy in terms of every little perk, every little thing mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't have to compete with Googles and Facebooks of the world. You have to be your organization. You have to be true to what your company does, and then make sure employees understand that and have bought into that culture. And that's how you engage employees. It doesn't have to be telecommuting and all of these other fancy things. I mean, if you can add that into the perks and benefits that you offer an organization, more power to you and the better off you'll be. But I find in a lot of cases when we're interviewing employees that might be looking for a new job or that passive candidate that will say, yes, I will take a phone call from you, what usually it comes down to is they're not feeling valued or appreciated in their own organization. And so that's why they're taking a look around to see if maybe there's something better. We also um, 
hear a critique of the youngest generation, the millennials, for being uninterested in work. Is that a valid criticism or just the older generation finding fault with their children? <laughs> That's a, a fantastic question. And I have um, an interesting office dynamic that I can pull from that is, you know, what do we call the, the 40-somethings, the married with children, you know, 10 to 20 years in their career. And then I've got the millennials, the 20-somethings in my office. And I think the biggest thing that um, employers, I think millennials, first of all, get a bad rap. And um, the reason they get a bad rap is because everybody talks about them, like you just said, not being interested in working or moving jobs very quickly, those types of things. And what I find is I have millennials that have been with me five, six, seven years, and it's because we're providing meaningful work and they're engaged in the process and they understand what they're working for. So millennials aren't necessarily looking for, you know, quick upward advancement and six-figure salaries right out of college. They understand that they do have to work for it. But if they see that a company isn't going to provide the right career opportunities for them, they're, they're more willing to leave that organization than probably we saw with the generations before. So they're, they're less interested in investing in a company that they just know isn't going to be in the, you know, in the long haul, a good thing for their career. So what I tell employers a lot is it's not that they're job jumpers. It's that they, they are not going to make an investment in something that isn't going to produce the return that they're looking for. And I think that's where they get confused with not interested in working and those mm. other things. I think they really understand that I'm not going to waste my time on something that it isn't going to be for me. And so why do that to myself and the employer when I should be looking for mm-hmm. something that's really going yeah. to be meaningful to me? Well, as, a, as an old person myself, I, I, I mean, for a long time, I think I, my attitude was, I'll stick it out no matter what it was I was Right. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we didn't think that they and, definitely don't stick it out if they don't think it's worth it. But and I think maybe we stuck it out, and this could apply to our culture up here in the mill or in the uh, government job we have, because we figure, well, there's no alternative. You know, there, what 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 right. are we what are we going to do about bettering ourselves? It, maybe it can't be done. Right. Yeah, I don't think they have that same opinion. I, I do believe that they do think that there's a way to continuously improve and continuously better their their knowledge. I find with millennials, a lot of times, they're very eager and they're like sponges for just learning new information, however they can get it. So they're not necessarily interested in, in continuous advancement of their career very rapidly, but what they are interested in is continuous professional development so that they are staying very current with their knowledge and skills and that they are um, feeling like they are accomplished in their career because they're gathering a lot of knowledge and experience. Mm. So it's not necessarily all about career advancement, but it is about continuous learning, continuous professional development, and again, being part of something that they believe in. So millennials are very, very interested in community outreach. They're very interested in volunteerism. They have a much more global perspective of our world, whereas, you know, I'm in my 40s and you said you were, you know, the old guy. Um, I think we didn't have as much access to information that they do, and so they are very mm-hmm. knowledgeable of what's going on around them, and they develop opinions quite early 
in their lives on, you know, where they're going to lean politically, where they're going to lean socially, where they're going to lean globally. And, um, and that makes an impact in their decisions as well. well. Let me ask you this, and it could be a, a personal story if you want to make it such. Do you need a college degree to get a good job? I mean, it depends. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I am an advocate for a lot of pathways into the workforce that are quote-unquote non-traditional. I do not have a college degree. And for many, many years, um, Bob, I was embarrassed to say that. And as I've become more accomplished in my career and I've gained more experience and I've, you know, kind of, you know, learned through going through the ropes, um, I realized that that isn't something that I should be ashamed of. It's not something that's going to hold me back. Now, in some situations, you do need to have a college education. I always joke that, you know, I want my doctor to have all of the education he possibly can have to be able to treat me as a patient. But for someone who is, you know, going into business or someone who even in technology these days, there's a lot of skills that can be self-taught. And what I find with a lot of companies is, is they're a lot more open than they used to be. And I think that does have to come down to supply and demand. And so companies where they used to used to require like four-year degrees or two-year degrees or whatever it might be for their jobs, it was a way for them to basically, you know, start to screen out people because they had too many applicants to choose from. Now we're in a different time where companies are begging for qualified people to join their organization. And so they're lifting those requirements of college education much more frequently than they used to. So there are a lot of ways that you can gain experience. I mean, my son, he, you know, thought he wanted to go to four-year college. He did that for a year and decided, you know what, maybe this isn't the best way to do it. So Mm -hmm. he was, you know, fortunate enough to get um, an internship and go to college part-time. So he's, you know, taking advantage of Hudson Valley, who's offering, you know, great curriculum and information technology. And he's being able to apply those skills that he's learning on the job um, at a local organization a couple of days a week so he can actually work in IT. And that, in a lot of ways, is much more valuable than coming out of college with a four-year degree and no experience. Hmm. Now, it all depends on how you're applying your education. So if you can get internships um, while you're in college and you can get some of that hands-on work experience, it's so, so important because... Companies are actually more interested in how are you going to work in their organization? How are you going to work with a team? What are your customer service skills like? What are your communication skills like? And that's across the board in any position. And so a lot of times companies are really becoming more open-minded to training on skills because they know they can train on the skills, but they sometimes can't train on personality and culture that's a good fit for their Mm -hmm. company. So in my world, no, you do not need a college education to you know, be a a managing partner and, um, you know, make a really good earning for yourself. But in some worlds, you know, it's going to be a little bit more Mm -hmm. scrutinized than others. Um, But I will tell you that companies are much more open to it than they used to be even just a few years ago. We're almost out of time. If you just give me a short answer to this. Uh, We live in an area that's big on government. I mean, the state capital is in Albany. There's local government, school systems. How is it different getting a job uh, in, in the government sector as opposed to finding work in the private sector? Um, it's a lot more red tape, to be honest with you. I mean, you have to take civil service exams. You have to wait certain time periods. I mean, the way the government works 
it's going to take a lot longer to get a position as it would in the private sector. And sometimes government loses out on the best employees because the private sector can just move and is much more nimble in terms of, you know, selecting a candidate and getting them hired and onboarded for their organization. So, you know, the, the best way to get into government is either through civil service exams, which happen a few times a year, and then you have to basically be put on a list and wait. Or you can get in from a contract perspective, but even those opportunities are much more limited than they used to be. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Miriam Duchesne, managing partner of Alant Workforce Solutions of Albany. We're heard on Magic 590 and 100.5 and on 1410 and 96.9 in the Glens Falls, Lake George area. This program will be podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.